Chapter Seven, Part One of Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betty B. Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water by Ethel Gwendolyn Vincent. Across the Pacific, Part One. At one thirty p.m the australia was crowded with a motley throng of passengers and weeping friends who were rushing up and down in search of the cabins they were to occupy claiming the same by the depositing of bags and parcels there was the luggage coming on board the chief steward receiving contributions of fresh provisions a last supply of water being given apparently to the hold of the ship by means of a long hose on the wharf and finally at the eleventh hour arrived the mails the warning bell rang the decks were at last cleared all ashore rang out a few parting words from those leaning over the bulwarks to those on the wharf a rush of the excited crowd to the end of the pier and we were left in little groups standing on the hurricane deck looking suspiciously at each other in our floating home for the next few weeks the australia looked a noble ship as she steamed through the bay coasting slowly round the promontory on which san francisco lies the captain the officer of the watch and the pilot were standing on the bridge the sun shining on the white sails the various flags of departure of the company and the union jack floating from her masts we sailed between the angel island and that of alcatraz saw the cliff house with the waves dashing over the seal rocks looking very desolate and dreary surrounded by its burnt dried-up downs we passed out through the golden gates into the deep blue ocean alas alas for those white horses and for indifferent sailors the ship began to roll more and more she pitched and tossed helplessly in a short choppy sea and those already faint-hearted and unhappy at parting with friends on shore lost no time in giving themselves up to mal de mer and misery needless to say that c was among the first to succumb the table at dinner presented but a dreary series of vacant spaces an old lady a great-grandmother to three generations on board was the only one besides myself to put in an appearance i confess that i could only just manage to sit through that interminable dinner and then i too gave in and crept into my berth very cold and miserable at the first start i think everything on board a ship seems depressing you look suspiciously into dingy corners of the cabins on to the shabby strip of carpet the space seems impossibly small for any degree of comfort the blue moreen curtains with their yellow cords jar upon the senses the water you wash in smells of bilge oil the towels are marked with plentiful iron moulds the washstand is discolored with much use the pillows are more like bolsters and the last straw seems to be the printed regulations hung up in each cabin of the ship rules which appear superlatively irksome i feel sure nearly all on board would have echoed these sentiments on that gloomy sunday succeeding our start when the tolling of the bell at eleven a m vainly called us to prayer the next day brought a slight improvement to some but the leaden sky and cold wind kept all below in the saloon the third day there was encouragement for all the sun rose warm and bright and brought the poor sick creatures creeping out onto the decks to sun themselves 
looking pale and languid. After this, we settled down into the routine of daily life on board ship, a more regular one than one could ever hope to pursue on shore. It was really pleasant day after day, sitting on the hurricane deck, under the thick double awnings, a hot sun with the cool breeze blowing, dreaming and idling away many a long hour. It was pure enjoyment to look at a sky of opaque blue, and at water varying from the purest ultramarine to the fullest and deepest of indigo dyes. We talk and think of the Mediterranean blue as the typical perfection of color for sky and sea, but it paled into insignificance by comparison with this perfectly heavenly Pacific color. We never tire of looking forward at the path of foam which we cut cleanly asunder in those dark blue depths, throwing it up to either side of us, or of the green feathery bubbles left aft by the revolutions of the screw. I have seen in the afternoon the most lovely little rainbows, just reflected for one minute on the foam of the crest of the wave as it rose up to break away. Then, in the evening, after we had entered the tropical latitudes, there was always the phosphorescence on the water, looking like a multitude of glowworms, appearing and disappearing and twinkling under the darkness of the ocean. For the first few days out we were followed by flights of gulls and albatross, wheeling and circling around us with their powerful wings, which outstretched measure some four feet across from tip to tip. But after we had come beyond even their range, we were left with nothing to look upon but that wonderful circular line, almost imperceptible, where sea touches sky. Left alone on that vast expanse of water, those ten thousand miles of ocean, which were to the right hand and to the left of us, which lay down below us in a straight line down, down to the depth of three miles. Then we were made to realize the extraordinary, lonely, yet exalted feeling that comes over you as you raise your eyes to the only boundary, the only limit to the sea, the horizon. Lonely, I say, you must feel because you are the one living thing that moves upon the face of the waters, and exalted because you know you are feeling to your inmost soul God's most wonderful creation. We were a little family collected together from all parts of the earth, thrown together very closely for the time, very soon to be separated and to go each our own way, all traveling on different errands for different reasons, some for business, some for pleasure, some in search of health, some even in search of love, like the three young ladies we were bringing over to Sydney to be married. We had the American consul at Auckland, Mr. Griffin, on board, step-uncle to Miss Mary Anderson, and who gave us a most interesting account of his adventures at Tutuila, one of the group of navigator islands, when he was left there virtually a prisoner for ten months, unable during that time to communicate with his government. We met at meals and then dispersed about, so much so that going up on the decks and finding them nearly deserted, you wondered where everybody did go to. In the afternoon, and immediately after luncheon, there was a sort of quiet and lazy cessation from work that sometimes comes unconsciously even on shore, when I believe many took a nap, and then by four there would come a gradual awakening and stirring up, with a sharp turn and brisk walk before the dressing bell at five-thirty, and once more the reassembling for dinner. 
we had a particularly nice set of officers and captain guest was most agreeable and well informed very solicitous for the comfort and amusement of his passengers we set one on each side of him with mr davidson on my other side and there was always a good deal of information flying across me between them we also all had the advantage of being waited on partly by tonga his chinese servant dressed in national costume all the sailors were chinese with english quartermasters they make most efficient hard-working tars and are allowed to wear their native dress rolling up their pigtails under their skull caps when at work september fourth it was beginning to get rather warm as we had entered the tropic of cancer the captain's patent windsail in the saloon was brought into use with great success except on one very hot night when its canvas sails hung limp and flabby and there was absolutely not one breath of wind to swell it to its usually large dimensions we were now within the influence of the trade winds those hot damp winds that flow on either side of the equator within a radius of three days steaming whilst they lasted we were never dry we lived in a perpetual turkish bath everything we touched was damp and sticky the awning dripping in the early morning or after sundown as if there was a heavy dew scissors razors knitting needles even the very pins in the pincushion became rusted saturday september fifth a blurred outline against the sky seen since early morning growing into the arid island of molokai the place of banishment of six hundred lepers exiled there to live and die by inches was the first island of the sandwich group which we saw there are eleven in all only six of which are habitable these are Kauai, oahu molokai lawai mani and hawaii which contains the volcano of kilauea by the afternoon we were passing under the lee of the island of oahu on which lies the capital of the group honolulu oahu has a magnificent outline of jagged peaks seared and scored by volcanic action whose precipices dark and gloomy run sheer down into the sea and form at their base a rocky breakwater against which the sea vainly lashes itself into fury rising into the air in a cloud of foam the promontory called diamond head stands boldly out into the sea and rising from the center of the island is the sharp mountain peak of pali the mouths of extinct craters can be easily traced by the utter barrenness around and in sharp contrast to the lava and scoria are the rich valleys running up into the interior of the island where all grows in tropical luxuriance there were patches of deep brown on the mountain sides alternating with others of yellow green grass tall straggling coconut palms waving their feathery arms along the shore where the intensely blue line of the sea touches the fringe of yellow sand in a quiet little cove we distinguished a tall manufacturing chimney standing in the midst of its sugar-cane plantation and further on we passed waikiki the favorite watering place of the hawaiians with its vast coconut grove growing to the water's edge amongst them we could see a few flat roofs with the gray palace of the king standing out prominently we are going now round the frowning brow of cape diamond and honolulu comes in sight it lies on a very dead level 
and has a long drawn-out collection of flat-roofed houses famous for its many spires mr mcintyre the pilot who for forty years has been bringing ships along the buoyed course and over the dangers of the coral reef which surrounds the bay in which honolulu lies boarded us from the flat-bottom boat as did all its stalwart native rowers inside the reef we saw an iron tripod that supported a small conical-shaped box from this issued forth a troop of little nut-brown native boys who with wild whoops plunged into the water and swam towards us and twisting about like eels dived after the dimes we dropped over and brought them up successfully water seems the natural element of the hawaiians and all bathe once if not twice a day fearless of the sharks who sometimes penetrate within the reef how beautiful are these island coral reefs bringing forth as they do and blending within their shallow depths every unsurpassed and heavenly shade of color that the ever-varying ocean shows from the dull purple line near the shore and within the bay they pass into a delicate opaque sea green near the coral reef where the line is abruptly broken by curling circlets of foam fading away in an indistinct line of sky blue shaded in the distance to cerulean and then ultramarine and dying on the horizon to the most exquisite sapphire mr mcintyre having brought us safely into dock we took a buggy to drive about for the two hours the australia stayed in port honolulu is a town containing fifteen thousand inhabitants with the native population there is an admixture of germans and chinese the american element too is very strong and american manners and customs have strongly influenced the hawaiians the roads are of the best macadam the town is lighted with gas there is a public telephone office which shows how general is the use of that instrument and fire plugs testify to their precautions against fire the parliament house is of stone with handsome colonnades before it stands the gold figure of king kamehameha the first first king of the sandwich islands wrapped in the famous zero zero mantle this mantle descended from generation to generation it was made from the feathers of a rare black bird of the tribe of honeysuckers under each wing only two or three feathers of the required shade were found so that it took scores of years to collect the necessary quantity as the mantle measured some four feet long and eleven feet wide at the bottom widths when spread out the palace surrounded by high walls stands in beautiful gardens as does also the palace of queen emma there is a college and a native cathedral built twenty-five years only after the introduction of christianity the english church as yet only four bare walls the queen emma hospital the prison the theatre and a comfortable hotel but the gardens how beautiful they seem to us a fairy vision almost as our first sight of tropical vegetation i long to know the name of each and every strange bright blossom i saw there was the straight broad leaf of the palm the jagged one of the banana the cocoa-nut palm with its straggling arms and brown nuts the feathery algeroba and glossy-leaved mango and monkey pod the dark green koa and very many others i had never heard of and these formed the dark green background 
for scarlet bunches of ohias and the vivid crimson blossom of the hibiscus for magnolias and orange trees and gardenias heliotrope roses and honeysuckle for thickets of mimosa trailing passion flowers and tropical parasites of all kinds women in their native garments the long loose flowing skirt gathered into a yoke at the shoulders but unconfined at the waist bestriding their horses floated by bright with many hues and garlanded with flowers sailor hats were perched on the erection of jet black hair shining from the plentiful use of coconut oil and their stockingless feet were encased in elaborately embroidered slippers it is considered a beauty for the women to be inordinately fat and their figures are shown off to advantage by the loose garment which they wear and the bright masses of blue orange purple and green which are the colors they particularly affect the men vie in brightness of coloring by their neckcloths and by the garlands of flowers strung together twisted round their hats or worn as a necklace some gave us the native salutation as we passed the soft aloha which literally translated means my love to you we found the post office where we went to mail some letters crowded with an eager throng waiting for the distribution of the post which we had just brought with us in the australia we glanced in at the market and noticed the pretty custom that they have of wrapping up the provisions in fresh leaves to be carried away i was very anxious to taste the native dish of poi and our driver said he would take us to a place where we could get some he stopped at a back way leading into a narrow yard opposite the chinese quarter and leaving us he returned in a few minutes asking us into his own house there we found spread out on a clean cloth on the floor a large bowl full of a thick pink paste his womenfolk stood round and watched us delightfully as we plunged one finger into the bowl and after a dexterous turn of the same to disconnect the hanging fibres conveyed it to our mouths it seemed to me to have no particular taste this poi is made from the root of the taro which grows in large beds under water and only requires boiling to be ready for eating it is carried about the streets in calabashes ready for sale and is the great national dish the chief support of the lower classes who eat it with tiny raw fish easily caught inside the reef kava is another favorite native refreshment which it is customary to offer to all who cross the threshold with alas but too often evil results as it contains very intoxicating properties it is made from the root of a shrub which grows to a height of from six to seven feet after being cleaned it is well pounded by the curious means of mastication young girls with the whitest teeth being chosen to chew it to a fine pulp it is thus prepared for eating and tastes like a combination of weak tea with soap suds our two hours were over and we returned to the wharf where we found the native band playing consisting of thirty men in white uniform in honor of some musical guests who were coming away in the australia many friends came down to see them off and herr ramini the great hungarian violinist came on board garlanded with wreaths of flowers they played a sad plaintive native air singing alternate verses with god save the queen as a compliment to the english as we drew away from the wharf 
The last notes died away as we crossed the reef and went out to the open sea. Our last view of Honolulu was under the soft afternoon light, while the punch bowl towering above and enveloped in a thick cloud of mist, with a rainbow playing over the gentle darkness of the summit and spanning the intermediate valley. After such an unusual excitement on board, it seemed a relief to have the ship to ourselves again, for the natives had crowded in whilst we were in harbor, and to go down immediately to dinner as usual. End of section 11